Good morning. I'm Pastor Owl again, and I have the pleasure and pressure of preaching <laughs> Romans 13. Don't you think the lead pastor should be the one preaching the toughest texts, right? No, but we heard last week, uh, as it relates to Scott talking about leadership, that he has the right to delegate and delegate to me. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, I mean, to his credit, he didn't just, you know, delegate it to me last week. I think it was the week before. So, um, I feel like I'm still getting hazed, even though I've been here almost a year. But, so this morning, yes, we are, we are facing uh, a tough text, um, but I think that uh, what can assist us is, uh, is a, a big idea, a metaphor, things that can uh, help us through a text such as this. So this morning, here's, here's our big idea. For God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we must be citizens of heaven here on earth. As we look at this text where Paul directs Roman Christians and us to submit to government authorities, I want to invite you out of that defensive posture you might be sinking into right now. Uh, as I prepped for this sermon, ah, my stomach was churning, my heart was racing, my eyes were flitting left and right, kind of looking mentally for a way out. Uh, this was a hard message to prep for, uh, for all the reasons you're feeling in yourself right now. And I know we know what, why it was so hard and what those reasons are, but I think for our benefit, it's good to state them here as we begin. It, it's because we live in a day and age where conversation is impossible. Because we place ourselves in different camps that hate each other, left and right and Republican and Democrat and for or against the wall. And we've come to believe a false narrative that those who don't believe the same as we do don't belong in the community. Are we willing to let our political ideologies destroy our Christian community? For Paul, it was a non-negotiable. He was not willing to let this happen to the Roman church. Paul understood that Jews and Gentiles that had no business being in relationship with one another were trying to worship together in the Roman church. In this incredible complexity of the growing gospel in the center of the Roman Empire, Paul knew it was unity that must prevail in the midst of oppression, conflict, and political unrest. So what does Paul tell them? He says, stay together in love. Stay together in love. So as uncomfortable as this subject may make you, please do not check out. Because today, even though politics will be mentioned it's not politics that we're talking about. We're talking about staying together as a community in love for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, we are talking about the gospel. Paul tells us in today's text that our citizenship is in heaven. And the core message of the gospel, what makes the good news good news, is that the kingdom 
of God offers a path for human flourishing, what Jesus calls abundant life. Paul is telling us that when we stay together in love, abundant life is produced. In ourselves and for ourselves, yes, but more so for those who have not yet discovered it. When we find a way to be unified in very divisive times, abundant life springs forth and justice rolls down from the hills for those most in need. We can read today's text in a very face value way. Just submit to the laws of our earthly government and be good citizens. You, You can read it like that. But that would miss the heart of the text. To help us go deeper and understand the heart of the text, we need a metaphor. Thankfully, Jesus gives us one in Matthew 17. He tells us how to move mountains. But before we look at that, I want to just say one more thing. My desire today is to stand before you as your pastor At a level, that means bringing to light areas where we live out our Christian faith, the ethics. But more than that, my desire is to feed you the milk and the meat of the gospel so that Jesus will live inside you, so that you can be the hands and the feet of Jesus. You see, the mouth (laughs) and the words that come from it mean nothing Unless the body, you, take that word into the world. Thus, the hands and the feet deserve greater honor than the mouth. My way of honoring you this morning, the body of Christ, is to give you the gospel nourishment you need in hopes that you go into the world as the hands and the feet of Jesus together as a community. Our big idea, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we must be citizens of heaven here on earth. So let's look at our metaphor in Matthew 17. You see, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives with his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. The Mount of Olives is like a half mile's walk northeast of Jerusalem. And they go to the top of the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is transfigured there, very theological word, to say that he comes into his full glory here on earth, what he will come into when he goes to heaven, what he will be like when he, at the second coming, and he becomes this right in front of Peter, James, and John, and they don't know what to do with it. A powerful, powerful moment. They come down the south side of the Mount of Olives, and they meet up with the rest of the disciples, and they are there with a father and his son who needs to be delivered from an evil spirit. The disciples say, or the father says, your disciples cannot deliver my my son. And Jesus is angry. He says, how long will I need to endure this faithless generation? And he delivers the boy, and the disciples go up to him and ask, why couldn't we do it? And he says, because you have such little faith. 
And he goes on to tell them, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to get up and go over there and it would do it. He says, there will be nothing you can't do. When he's telling them this, 11 miles to the south, they see a mountain with what's called the Herodium on top of it. That's what they saw. You see, when Jesus was born, there was a ruler, and his name was King Herod. King Herod was the one who heard about the prophecy of the baby king being born, and so he says, go to Bethlehem and slaughter all the kids under two. That's this. That's who we're talking about. <laughs> uh, king Herod, he ruled for 37 years, uh, and he was the one who, he, he died soon after Jesus' birth, but about 15 years before Jesus was born, King Herod completed the Herodium. It took eight years to build endless amounts of slave labor to make it happen. And this is what they are staring at from the Mount of Olives. It is a real place. This place really exists. So, but the, the question is, why is Jesus telling them about having the faith to move mountains when they're looking at the Herodium? That's because the, the mountain where the Herodium actually sits on top of did not exist there before they actually built it. What King Herod did was there was two hills on either side of this site where he commanded these slaves to actually move the hills into a mountain. I have this on good authority, too, from someone who just visited this, this site. So... Um, so here it is. Why is Jesus talking about this? If King Herod, who has no fear or no faith in God, can move mountains for personal gain, imagine what you can do with a mustard seed of faith for others. Jesus here is making a both-and statement. He is telling them they can move mountains for the oppressed spiritually, which is what we see happen with the boy, but at the same time, because they are staring at the Herodium and they all knew what it symbolized, Jesus was also saying, you can move mountains politically. Faith, especially faith in love, is what will move mountains here on earth politically and socially. Moving mountains by faith. This is both our metaphor and Paul's goal for us. The metaphor will help us understand what Paul is teaching us, but Paul's teaching will help us towards actually moving mountains. So let's begin with our first point. Two governments. That's Romans 13, verses 1 through 2. I'll read it. Every person should place themselves under the authority of of the government. There isn't any authority unless it comes from God. And the authorities that are there have been put there, put in place by God. So anyone who opposes the authority is standing against what God has established. On the face of it, this is simply an admonishment to Christians to submit themselves to the governments they find themselves under. It says we are a civic-minded people. 
We honor all authority. We will follow the laws of the land. Yes, yes, and yes. But Romans is not a letter to the government of Rome, even though they were sure to have read it. No, it's a letter to the church in Rome. So let's not miss the move that Paul makes right at the beginning of the chapter to get our eyes on heaven all the while he's talking about earth. Paul says, there is no authority unless it comes from God. Through which Paul is telling us there are two governments, an earthly government and a heavenly government, what we might call the kingdom of God. Both have authority, but authority only comes from one source. It comes from God. God holds all authority and dispenses it to the heavenly and earthly governments as he pleases. And about the earthly government, Paul says, the authorities that are there have been put in place by God. So anyone who opposes the authority is standing against what God has established. We see that all governing authorities, all of them, have been put in place by God. God has established them. The Greek word here for established is tetamenai, tetamenai, and it means to arrange in place. Envision Envision a a librarian establishing space on shelves and putting books in order. The The librarian may not agree with all the content or the character of the books, but she finds a place for the books nonetheless. Whether it's a man after God's own heart like David or wicked like King Herod, God has established them and given authority to them for a purpose. Paul is calling us to recognize that our faith should not ebb and flow based on the faithfulness or faithlessness of governing authorities, because authority doesn't reside in them, just like our citizenship doesn't reside here on earth. All authority is with God alone and our citizenship is in heaven alone. Here on earth, we are aliens, immigrants far from home, strangers in a strange land. As citizens of heaven, we are directed first and foremost by the ways of our king in heaven. So if our king in heaven is telling us to submit to earthly government, we do so. Because we are secure in the fact that all authority is coming from God. We submit to earthly authority. We submit to God who has given them authority. I will say more on this challenging teaching in our second point, but as submission goes, there is a difference between submitting honor and submitting allegiance. Honor is giving everyone the due they believe they deserve. If taxes, then taxes. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is how we submit to the government, giving them the honor they expect, holding back only one thing, allegiance. We submit to God our allegiance, to God alone. Allegiance is full life, full body worship and sacrifice, 
We give God our allegiance when we give him full access and full authority over our lives. This is the first commandment. You will have no other God before me. Pledge allegiance to no one else. And I do not desire to be disrespectful to any in the armed forces who have given their lives to defend creed and country and our flag. We are in debt, I am in debt to you in ways that I know that I do not understand. But respectfully, as a Christian, my citizenship is in heaven. And I will only pledge my allegiance to God creator of heaven and earth and the furtherance of his kingdom. And I commend this to you as well. Our big idea again. For God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we must be citizens of heaven here on earth. Recognizing we are citizens of heaven means we don't start trying to move mountains with bulldozers or brute strength. We begin by recognizing where authority comes from giving allegiance to God and submitting to the government as you submit to God. But there is more. There is more. Paul continues by directly and indirectly talking about two fears. He says, starting in verse 3, the authorities don't frighten people who are doing the right thing. Rather, they frighten people who are doing wrong. Would you rather not be afraid of authority? Do what's right, and you will receive its approval. It is God's servant given for your benefit. But if you do what's wrong, be afraid, because it doesn't have weapons to enforce the law for nothing. It is God's servant put in place to carry out his punishment on those who do what is wrong. That is why it is necessary to place yourself under the government's authority not only to avoid God's punishment, but also for the sake of your conscience. Again, there's there's a very face value, straightforward way to understand this. Governments have laws and the authority to enforce those laws. Those who break the laws will be punished. So if you break the laws of the land, expect to be punished. But do what's right and gain its favor and approval. This is the face value reading of that part. But if there are two governments and we are citizens of heaven, then Paul is pointing us to something bigger than just avoiding punishment. I think Paul is saying here, don't misplace your fear. Don't misplace your fear. You see, fear has this way of consuming us. It demands our time and our bodies, our minds and our joy. It can shape our identities and can be the thorn in our sides, it could become a way of life. In many ways, fear and worship go hand in hand. I wonder if what we fear becomes what we worship. Nevertheless, Paul is encouraging us not to misplace our fear. If we are living in fear of punishment from the earthly government, then we are in danger of being consumed by that fear. Our fear of earthly government will keep us focused on either the justice we feel we deserve or the justice we need to run from. Either way, living in fear of the earthly government can become what we give our whole selves away to. Paul is trying to keep us from doing this. 
from giving our fear away to the earthly government. He knows we all, in, we all fear and worship something. What will get your fear in your worship? Listen, when, when Paul directs us to submit to and not live in fear of earthly authority, what he's really saying is save your fear and your worship for God alone. Prioritize the laws of the kingdom of God. Give honor, respect, and taxes to the earthly government, but give your allegiance to me and my laws, says God. And what are God's laws? To, to love God with your whole being, to love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? Jesus tells us. Our neighbor is the poor, the prisoner, the blind and the oppressed, the marginalized, the desperate. It is to these that the law of the kingdom of God bends towards. God is always on the side of the poor, both materially and spiritually. And as citizens of heaven, this is who we are on the side of too. Why is this? Why does God's justice arc towards the poor? Why are we called to the poor? Let's answer it with a question. To whom do you think earthly justice arcs towards? Is it to the rich or to the poor? To the reputable or unreputable? To the famous or to the marginalized? To the powerful or desperate? To the white or the brown? Earthly justice favors the strong, leaving the weak to fall through the cracks and scratch out a living there. Yes, we are civic-minded people. Yes, we honor all authority. Yes, we follow the laws of the land. But church, do not fall asleep. Do not be ignorant to the truth. If we, the church, disengage from loving our neighbor, the poor will be crushed, the prisoner dehumanized, the marginalized cut off, the desperate, hopeless, white and brown unreconciled. We must press into the hard work of dispensing the goods of our heavenly government here on earth. And the goods of the heavenly government, the kingdom of God, they're this. And you know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, there is no law on earth against such things. If there is no law against these things, then while we submit to the government and do all we can to seek earthly justice, we dispense heavenly goods in faith, believing they make people more human, more whole, more like Jesus in the midst of their injustice. To dispense the heavenly goods on the hurting and the helpless is to bring heaven to earth. This is our motivation. For God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we must be citizens of heaven here on earth. We are getting closer to the realization of moving mountains here on earth. We now know who we are to focus on. As citizens of heaven aligned with God's will, 
We are to move mountains spiritually and materially for the poor among us. The natural question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? For the work is too heavy for one person. Starting in verse 8. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't desire what others have. And any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. I essentially just summarized what this, these final verses just said in the previous point, but I want to round back to focus on love and what MLK Jr. called the beloved community. If we're going to move mountains in a different way than the world, in God's ways, then our means and our motivations must be rooted in love. Love is never individualistic. Even if you are, quote-unquote, loving yourself well, I would say that you are experiencing the love of God in yourself. Love is never individualistic. It is only communal. Pastor Scott said this very thing last week, did he not? We cannot be Christ-like without community. We belong one to another. The center of our relationship with Christ and with one another is love. So love is bigger than any of us. Just like the task of moving mountains for the poor and the oppressed is bigger than any one of us. So moving mountains can only be done in love. It can only be done as the beloved community. We saw this put on display not even 30 minutes ago, right? Did any one child move these rocks and make this mountain? No, I told them what I wanted to do. I asked them to go to the wings and find a rock and bring it to the center. And as a little community... They did it. Did anyone see their kids questioning whether this could be done? No. They just stepped up together and they did it. And they put it on display for us. This was a living and breathing example of today's metaphor. That's because we needed that. Because what I'm preaching to you today, I understand it is insurmountable. Moving mountains socially, politically, through fearing God and submitting ourselves to the government, that's going to move mountains? <laughs> I'm glad somebody laughed. Because <laughs> it feels ridiculous. It's like, how does that happen? How do we do it? That's why we have our scripture. That's why scripture speaks to us today. Because we know we have seen it done. It has been done and it will only be done again through childlike faith. Stop getting in your own way and believe that God, through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, can accomplish the impossible through us, not just through you, through us. 
To tap into your childlike faith, you must allow God to move mountains of oppression in your own life that each one of you carries inside you, that blocks you from believing that God through us can accomplish the impossible. You must be willing to look into yourself and allow God's love to gently lift that mountain of oppression out of you that's blocking your belief in the impossible. So with your childlike mind now, imagine God reaching into you, cupping his hands under that mountain and lifting it out through your head. Again, with your childlike imagination, envision God's hands reaching down into you, cupping that mountain of oppression you carry and lifting it out through your head. One last time. Imagine the God of heaven, personal, knowable, lovingly, reaching down his hands into your chest, cupping that mountain of oppression, blocking your childlike faith, and lifting it out through your head. When you allow God's love to move mountains in you, Love will drive you to join with the community to move mountains for the poor among us. Love will drive you to seek out those here at Bethany North who are moving mountains one rock at a time. Those trying to give hope back to the opiate-addicted patients at the methadone clinic just down the street. Those seeking prison reform and the end of mass incarceration. Those families giving orphans homes through foster care, which reduces their risk of being sex trafficked. Those advocating for the rights of unborn children in a state where a child can still be aborted at five months in utero. Those continuing to press into race and gender equality. Like at the Daniel Hill event tomorrow night. Come out, join me. All these require earthly justice so they can be realized in people's lives, but they will only be accomplished through the love and commitment of the beloved community to dispense the heavenly goods. And yes, seeking justice does require sacrifice, but didn't Jesus die for us so that we could be free? Jesus died for us because it was God's will, God's desire that we should live. He sacrificed for us moving the mountains of death with the heavenly goods. So let us do likewise. To live for justice is to live like Christ, 
don't miss the chance to live because you want to preserve people's good opinion of you or because you might make, need to make a material sacrifice. Don't sacrifice your soul to save your lifestyle. That is not what Jesus died for. He sacrificed so that all may have a way into the kingdom of God and one doesn't need to wait to die to experience the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in you. And more to the point, the kingdom of God is in the church. You are responsible. You have the weight on your shoulders to dispense the goods of the kingdom of God into the world. Together, you can make that choice to hoard it or to dispense it, even if it comes at a cost to yourselves. But look around. You are not alone. You've never been alone. Together, through love, let's move mountains, believing like children the impossible can be done. Amen? Amen. Today, our response, at the end, uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you, the the worship team is going to come back and lead us through a few songs. I want you to come up and take a rock. Hold on to it for the two songs. You're not going to take it home. What you're doing is you are moving a mountain together. So you are going to take, each one of you, take a rock and go out to the commons, and there is a pallet covered in black with already the beginnings of a mountain, the foundation, and I want you to move these rocks to there. And together, this is how a mountain gets moved in our world, only together. A mountain cannot be moved by any one individual. You, the beloved community, can do this.